Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Fair Data Podcast, where we discuss all things fair, making data findable, accessible, interoperable, and reusable. This week, we are continuing to focus on PIDs and their role in fair. I'm Rory McNeil, host of the Fair Data Podcast, and my guest today is Rory Edmonds. Rory is Sample's community manager at Datasite, where he is focusing on introducing the new international generic sample number into the Datasite infrastructure. Rory, welcome. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Rory. Uh, let's hope we don't confuse people too much with the Rory versus Rory, but uh, I, I, hopefully our voices are distinct enough that everybody will be able to follow. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this is this is definitely a first having another Rory on the podcast. So, uh, so this uh, it's it's a pleasure. Yeah. So let's start off with some fundamental points. When I think when most people think about IGSNs, they probably still think of the G as standing for geological. But as a result of the project you're now spearheading, it now stands for generic. Could you start by telling us a bit about why and how that came about? Uh, yeah, thanks, Rory. So there, there's sort of two questions in, in one here. Um, so the first, I suppose, is really about how the, the partnership came to exist. So. In 2018, the the IGSN EV uh, received a grant from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation for the IGSN 2040 project. Uh, And the purpose of that project was to create a strategic plan and a roadmap towards the future growth and sustainability of the IGSN ID. Uh, The primary finding of that report was that the IGSN EV should really focus on uh, community engagement and adoption uh, and the development of sample PID practice standards, uh, and as well as uh, finding a partner in the space with a similar ethos to provide uh, scalable and sustained IGSN registration services and technical infrastructure. Um, so in, in May uh, 2021, the IGSN EV approached Datasite about the potential of a partnership, which was formalized in October 2021. Uh, the initial phase of the partnership, which actually ends quite soon at the end of, of April 2023, was uh, to again approach the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation to, to implement the recommendations that came out of the IGSN 2040 project and really transition uh, the IGSN ID and the IGSN EV uh, membership uh, to data site infrastructure services and APIs. So. Under the partnership, uh, the IGSN EV is leveraging uh, Datasite DOI registration services for IGSN IDs, and Datasite is, is really providing the supporting technology to enable the ongoing sustainability of the IGSN PID infrastructure. The partnership also enables the IGSN EV to focus its efforts on uh, advocacy and expanding the global samples ecosystem. And we're really working alongside the IGSNEV to f- facilitate a community of communities to promote and support development of standard methods for identifying, citing, and locating uh, physical samples. And so it's this sort of second point that brings us back to the change of the acronym from international geosample number to generic sample number. So it's certainly true that historically the, the IGSNID grew out of the geological sciences. However, for the uh, circa 10 million IGSN IDs that have been registered over the years, um, the idea had already uh, become increase, or sorry, it had already become increasingly obvious that the IGSN ID 
had a utility far beyond the geosciences, and it had already been used uh, in some other context. So really one of the aims of the partnership is to, to scale sample community engagement and increase adoption globally, ensuring that across all domains we're supporting broader use cases and sharing learned experiences. Uh, and one of the points I'm trying to emphasize to the community is that all material samples and any research discipline can be registered with an IGSN ID. Um, the official announcement last year by the IGSN EV that the acronym IGSN is now International Generic Sample Number uh, merely sort of reflects the reality of the ID that it can also be applied to any individual samples, to sample collections or aggregates, to collection sites, and even to destroyed uh, or discarded samples. Okay, well, that's uh, thank you. That's very thorough and uh, uh, interesting. <laughs> background, which, which I think is also pretty clear. So how, how did you get involved and what attracted you to this, uh, the new role that was created, a data site to take the IGSN initiative forward? Uh, well, so a major component of the grant from uh, the Sloan Foundation was to recruit a samples community manager to oversee the partnership. Uh, and I'm obviously delighted to say that I was offered the position in January of last year and commenced the, commenced the position in, in mid-February. And the, the position came available at a time when uh, I was really looking for a new challenge. Uh, so I'd spent the past 10 years uh, working uh, for the International Program Office uh, of the World Data System of the International Science Council. And the hosting agreement for the, uh, the IPO, uh, in, which was based in Tokyo, came to an end in 2021. Uh, so the timing was, was very apt for me, um, especially uh, data site staff work 100% remotely around the globe, and I was uh, keen to remain in Japan. And, and there are not necessarily many positions available in research data management uh, in, in Japan. But the thing that really, really attracted me to the role um, was that it just seemed a wonderful fit for me. I think that's why people are often attracted to, to jobs. Although my PhD uh, is structural geology, which is, is in itself a, a, a good fit, um, my scientific background is, is very multidisciplinary. And um, being able to engage with disciplinary communities in the natural and social sciences and the humanities is, is really highly attractive to me. Um, Moreover, my time at WDS gave me uh, significant experience in coordinating, leading, and promoting international projects uh, with a real emphasis on building and developing communities of actors in research data management from across uh, scientific fields and geographies. So really being the samples community manager at DataSite allows me to work with both the researchers, collecting, creating, analyzing the samples, and the repositories and other services that are registering the samples and data, as well as managing the collections, etc. And so my hope uh, is uh, really to use my experience to strengthen the connections between these two important stakeholders. Well, wow, that's fantastic. It sounds like a, a match made in heaven. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so can you give us a sense? You, 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 you've given us the background, which was which is really useful. Can you... Let's turn now to the, the current state of play. I believe it's the case that the infrastructure for, for delivering an IGN service is now, is now actually there. Is that right? And, and if so, how does, it, how does it work? Is it similar to the way that uh, DOIs are delivered or, or is it different? 
So, um, yeah, under the Sloan grant, we've, we've sort of completed the, the, the following steps um, that were sort of outlined within the grant. So the first one is, is was uh, around engagement. So really coordinating and supporting the, the existing IGSN allocating agents throughout the transition, uh, including integrating them into the data site family. Technical plans, we, we've obviously had to share with the, those, the IGSN allocating agents an overview of the technical transition, as well as more detailed technical and inf- implementation steps. And that's included providing a metadata mapping between the uh, IGSN and data site metadata schemata, as well as producing uh, support and best practice documentation. And uh, then really the, the major step of, has been the sort of transitioning which is ensuring that the IGSN allocating agents can use data site tools, our APIs, our services, as well as then launching IGSN IGD registration for all existing data site members. So that's what, as you say, that is now available um, for all of our um, uh, members and consortium organizations. The part we're really focused on at this moment in time is a, a resolution and aliasing step. So we've taken over management of the IGSN handle server. We're now ensuring that all legacy handle IGSN IDs are aliased to IGSN ID counterparts registered in data site DOI services. So namely, we're really making sure that everything that currently exists continues to resolve into the future. Um, but yes, so the main point I really would love to highlight to anybody listening uh, is that we are delighted to announce that IGSN ID registration using data site services was launched in September last year. And as I've already mentioned, it means the ability to register material samples with IGSN IDs is thus available to all data site members, all consortium organizations. And to sort of go back to the, the, the sort of latter part of your question, uh, new IGSN IDs are functionally DOIs. Hence, that means they can be easily registered using our Fabrica service um, within data site APIs or using any other systems that integrate data site DOI registration. All of data sites of our current value added services are available for IGSN IDs. Um, and we are and will continue to develop specific services for IGSN IDs. Yeah, yeah. that's a, that's a really, I mean, so first of all, so things are actually in good working order. And this is a, this is no, the preparation is you're continuing to develop things, but basically it's available for, for production use, which is, which is, yeah. which is good to know. I was going to say, so for example, in the IGSN ID context, it's possible for repositories to expose extended sample metadata beyond the core metadata of the data site schema by implementing technologies related to content negotiation, where basically you've got machines that can resolve extended metadata directly from the repository using uh, content negotiation. And I should also mention that we have a lot of documentation on our support site, which includes best practices for populating properties in the, the metadata schema, other recommendations, and all that's continuing to be updated. Fantastic. So, I mean, you've given us actually a really, a really good, I think, uh, explanation, clear explanation of the, of the kind of technical infrastructure that's that now is there to underpin IGSNs. Uh, but I know that that um, you are extremely active in in outreach and 
and talking to to lots and lots of of people. So, what what kinds of just from a let's kind of more focus on your your outreach strategy as a community manager. Can you give us an idea of the kinds of things you're doing to get the word out about the new IGSN service? Yes. Yeah, so beyond obviously the the main foci of the the transition process. Um, as you rightly say, I'm now reaching out and communicating uh, with all stakeholders involved in the collection and management of material samples to not only advocate the adoption of IGSN IDs, but also work through their use cases and thus assist them in their adoption. So I'm really speaking with as many people as possible, starting very obviously with data site members and consortium organizations, trying to find people uh, and organizations who would really benefit from registering IGSN IDs for their material samples. I'm also asking where possible about important events within a region or a discipline where it could be advantageous to promote the value of the IGSN ID. And obviously I'm emphasizing here the relevance of IGSN IDs for material samples for all different domains, not just the, the geosciences as we, we already discussed. So I'm really particularly trying to expand my network to interact with communities that data site and the IGSN EV are not already closely linked with or have not historically been closely linked with. Um, one of the primary ways I'm working with those other domains is through the establishment of, uh, of the of disciplinary communities of practice, which the aforementioned sort of community of communities. And these communities of practice have sort of three functions, uh, promoting the use of, of PIDs for material samples, articulating use cases within disciplines and sub-disciplines, so really sort of mapping out the workflow, and, and working at how to describe material samples, what is the minimum useful metadata profile, what extensions are needed, how can the met data site metadata schema be enhanced to better support material samples? Okay, fantastic. And and um, so that's really interesting. So and in terms of the actual the roles of the of the individuals that you're speaking with, are they are they researchers are they in domain organizations like the AGU or the EGU are they in in projects are they uh, librarians and in institutions what, what what are some of the main kinds of people that you're speaking with i suppose all of the above so um so going back to sort of the communities of practice the initial one was founded last year and has been centered on the archaeological sciences um, I'm now also working with the biosamples community through bioschemas.org. I'm looking at also creating a, maybe a community of practice in the material sciences, which has a lot of very interesting and unique use cases. But really, really, I'm speaking to anyone and everyone with an interest in assigning PIDs to material samples. Um, <laughs> domain experts from all over the world, all different fields. Um, and I have to say the reaction has been extremely positive overall. Um, people are not only pleased to see that a PID now exists that expands across different communities, but they also can see how important it is to have some consensus and consistency for referring to and describing all types of samples. And it's, I think it's genuinely appreciated that the partnership is bringing the, the sort of physical and digital worlds together and ensuring that material samples are first-class citizens of, of open science. Um, I have to also say that I think it helps a little bit, certainly with me going out and sort of selling this to the world, 
that, that IGSN IDs are now DOIs, um, which people, I think, have a great familiarity with. They use them regularly, and I think they trust the robustness of the underlying infrastructure. Of course, there's still work to be done. There's often some internal considerations that organizations keen to implement IGSN IDs have to contend with. People also want to know more about how the IGSN ID is used in reality, you know, examples of practical use cases of, of metadata, of landing pages. And we're continuing to update, as I said, the support pages on the dead site website with ex exemplars. And I must sort of add here that it really is a pleasure to serve both the IGSN and data site communities and assist everyone to register IGSN IDs for their material samples. Yeah, excellent. So I mean, that all sounds really positive, uh, which is great. As you say, it, 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 what you're doing is kind of a, to some extent, a sales job, but you're, it sounds like the door is, the door is open to people being sold to, which is good. So you, you've alluded a little bit in that last comment about the one challenge, which is possibly institutional uh, focus or, or awareness or, or decision-making. But what do you see as some of the other main challenges to widespread adoption of IGSN IDs? I mean, there's there's technical issues. Is it awareness you're 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 tackling with the outreach, adoption issues relating to people needing to change workflows, other things? What are, what are some of the because you you you're, you're the one who knows because you're the one who's talking to people. What are some of the main challenges? So I mean, again, uh, since IGSN IDs are functionally DOIs, they can be applied at any all parts of the sample management workflow. Um, the, the, the technical workflow parts need some consideration by organizations, but they're really quite straightforward. I think the difficulties are more around uh, awareness raising and, and a willingness to prioritize PID registration for material samples. So really, depending on the discipline, I think there's, there's a need for a change of culture amongst uh, researchers. You know, as one might imagine, researchers typically don't want to take on anything that's seen as an extra burden or responsibility and takes a, a, them away from their primary goal of being recognized for their research outputs or achievements. Hence, we really need to emphasize the importance of registering PIDs for material samples to the researchers themselves and show them what the positives are. And I think one of the, the slight barriers that could stop some communities from immediately adopting the IGSN ID is that they may not easily see how the, the data site metadata schema relates to the type of information that they're collecting around their samples. Um, so the, the data site metadata schema has obviously been designed to be as general as possible. And although it has been used to register DOIs for physical objects, we realize that obviously it, it doesn't have specific provisions for material samples. And additionally, sort of what developed practices there are at present have been more suited to samples from the earth, space and environmental sciences. And this is why it's been really important to establish these disciplinary focused communities of practice, because with the help of the wider samples community, we can continue to improve the data set metadata schema for material samples and expand and re refine best practices for IGSN IDs. But even the establishment of these communities of practice is a challenge in itself, as one needs to find the sort of coalition of the willing. You know, when I talk to people, uh, they, they always say how important the work is, and they really want to see the outcomes and, the, and benefit from those outcomes. 
However, it's also clear that the people often don't have the capacity to be part of that group and developing the outcomes. Okay, let me make a bold statement here. I always like to make bold statements and try to uh, generate some, uh, not controversy, won't be controversial, but I'm just reflecting on, on what you were saying. And if you look at, if you look at DOIs, they were, I believe it's the case that they were, they were a construct of, of people who work in, in libraries and people like that. And therefore, to some extent, there is a sales job to, to explain to or convince researchers that broader use of, of DOIs will be helpful to them in making their work wider known. I guess that's the main selling point, really. Whereas samples are different, the IGSNs are different. The, the original IGSN, it was a bottom-up thing. It wasn't developed by people who were managing data. It was people who were producing data primarily. So it was actually perceived, this particular ID was perceived as being being a useful resource for greater discoverability of, of sample data by, by the actual researchers. And therefore, it might be the case that this need for discoverability for sample data is is felt more strongly by the people who are actually the researchers than in the case of, of more kind of purely digital artifacts. If that's the case, then although the challenges you describe are obviously obviously there, uh, it might be the case that kind of over the medium to long term, uh, IGSNs in some ways become, it's more easier for them to become a fabric of of uh, of the research than uh, uh, than some of the other kinds of uh, um, uh, of DOIs which are which are now um, also becoming important. I mean, how do you react to that uh, assertion? <laughs> no, I, I I think you're entirely correct. I think um, you know that that the the one thing about the the IGSN ID is it is something that is um, direct more directly relevant to researchers or you know disciplinary researchers and 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 they need to be involved in i think um making it clear to uh the services that are currently um registering dois on 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 behalf of their organization that that these are these are useful and relevant to them and to be involved in the discussions around the, their implementation I, I hope, I believe, and I hope you are are correct. So, but um, it's it's a little difficult one for me to to assert too strongly because, uh, of course, there. When you think about the data site community, often a lot of the people who are the sort of main contact points within within the data site community are exactly the people you were describing, the, mm. the librarians, the information specialists. And I, I think they perfectly well understand how important it is as well. But of course, the disciplinary nuances maybe are less... Uh, less obvious to them. Yeah. Okay. So that actually, this is a good second. I was going to take the conversation to a slightly more kind of, you know, philosophical or strategic direction and maybe look at this, at these things we've been discussing from a, from a data site, from a purely or for, from a primarily 
uh, data site point of view because you know as pre before the advent of the of data site um, working with the, the IGSNs and and in fact transforming what IGNs are and how they're delivered the uh, the DOIs the data site we're working with were purely a digital artifacts and didn't have a relationship to a physical object and so what why do you think I know this wasn't I don't think you were as you described you weren't involved at this point but why do you think that data site from data sites perspective became interested in uh, in getting involved with with really what was kind of a new a new area for them well so let, let's sort of take a step back and say that there's never really been um, a focus on any specific resource type within data site it's really been a community with a common interest and and when you look at sort of if you go into our systems and you look back sort of even in 2014 we had 1.9 million DOIs registered across 22 different resource types and over the years that's increased to we now support sort of 30 around 30 resource types and and one of those has been physical samples. So DataSite has supported physical samples for many years. And in fact, prior to the partnership with the IGSNEV, our members had registered over 1.3 million physical object DOIs. So we're really just furthering support of that through the partnership. Uh, and for a little bit of additional context, I mean, DataSite is a global community that shares a common interest, and which is really to ensure that research outputs and resources are openly available and connected so that their reuse can be uh, can advance knowledge among and across disciplines, both now and into the future. And DataSite really is trying to make research more effective by connecting research outputs and resources from samples and images to data, preprints. We're enabling the, the creation and management of PIDs, enhancing research workflows uh, with service integration and facilitating the discovery and reuse of research outputs and resources. Yeah, okay, good. Well, that's interesting. I, that's, that, that makes sense. And I hadn't realized that DataSite was dealing with physical samples even before IGSN, so it's more kind of... A, Make, make you know, formal not for, for upgrading, formalizing, however you want to describe it, something which previously existed, and then also um, collaborating with with a community which had thought a lot about these issues and with the creation of the initial IGSN. So yeah, that all makes sense. All right, so finally, we've seen the recent announcement about the Open Global Data Citation Corpus, which sounds really really exciting and it's been publicly announced now so are would you be able to to make any high level comments about uh, about what you know what this involves and uh, it sounds like a potentially transformative development and really exciting but it'd be useful to to get uh, you know someone from data site like you to maybe try to uh, give us a high level or a summary of of, of what this is about so I'm going to hold my hands up here and freely admit that I'm not so heavily involved um, in in this work, but I, I I can sort of say that the data side is really ecstatic to be leading both this project and uh, the Make Data Count initiative to further global community efforts in creating uh, meaningful data metrics. 
Um, the data citation corpus has has really has the potential to dramatically alter the data citation landscape, and we we look we look forward to working closely with the community as we we scale our efforts. The project was launched on first of February this year, um, and contributions from the community will really be will be vital to scaling the open global data citation corpus. It, I think it would be difficult for me to sit here and go through the details um, now, but really, if anybody's interested in learning about the corpus and data sites role, we do have a recording on our YouTube channel of the webinar that we hosted on the 13th of February entitled Join the Conversation, Building the Open Global Data Citation Corpus. And, and I strongly encourage people to go and have a look at that. Um, and there, I think there is other information on the data site um, website as well or in our blogs um so yeah i just uh push people to go and go and find out more there fantastic well roy thank you so much this has been a really um very informative discussion i think i know quite a lot about this space but uh, I, i've learned a lot and i think you you were it was great you you know you gave really clear and and uh, thorough background to some of the details of of the IGSNs, what you're doing, how they fit into data site, how you're working with the community. So that's been extremely, extremely good conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you. I mean, it's a lot of information, I'm sure, for people, but I hope it's of interest. And I apologize for stepping over my words a little bit. It's uh, it, it's some, sometimes working in Japan, We uh, I, I have quite late nights and quite early mornings. So it's... Uh, <laughs> It's not always easy by this time of the evening to uh, to, to get my thoughts in order. Oh, your thoughts were, 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 were very clear. So thank you very much. So, so that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. The Fair Data Podcast is provided by fairdatapodcast.org and produced by Meroz Ahmed. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, and follow us on Twitter at Fair Data Podcast. New episodes are released every other Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. UK, 5 p.m. Central European time, and late in Asia Pacific. See you next time.